Well, welcome everyone. I'm Jeremy Simon uh, with 3D Universe and also the Enable Volunteer Community. And I'm very pleased to welcome you to our third episode of 3D Universe Untethered. This episode is all about Enable, a global community of volunteers using 3D printing to give the world a helping hand. Uh, I'd like to uh, introduce our speakers for today. Um, so if you guys want to go ahead and bring yourselves onto video and unmute, I'll uh, go through the introductions briefly here, and then we're going to have some some uh, discussion and, and talk about the Enable community. I want to invite the audience to use the Q&A panel throughout the day to ask questions. We will work those in either during or towards the end, but please do uh, use that Q&A panel so that we can get you involved and make sure your questions get answered as well. So uh, first up, uh, I'm very pleased to welcome Jen Owen. Uh, as many of you already know, Jen is the creative director of 3D Universe. We're very pleased to have her part of our team but she's also a co-founder of the Global Enable Community of Volunteers who create 3D printed hands and arms for those in need. Jen has helped to grow the Enable movement since supporting the creation of the first 3D printed hand in 2012. She's also the owner, founder, and primary writer of enablingthefuture.org, which many of you are probably familiar with. She's a globally recognized speaker and has been a volunteer and participant in the field of open source 3D printed prosthetic hands for the past eight years. Along the way, she's sought to highlight and document stories from the Enable community of volunteers and to maintain an information resource for people interested in learning more about the history, design, and fabrication of these devices. So welcome, Jen. Thank you. I'm also pleased to have John Schull. John is also a co-founder of Enable, the global network of volunteers using 3D printers to make radically inexpensive prosthetics for underserved amputees. He's also co-founder of Rochester Enable Limited, a 501c3 that administers the Enable Fund and supports the Rochester Enable Lab at Virtus High School. John, welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. And we also have Peregrine Hawthorne. Peregrine is a, bio, a biological psychologist, entrepreneur, inventor, and social innovator with a long-standing interest in collective intelligence and adaptation and distributed systems, evolutionary, psychological, social, technological, and techno-social. Peregrine is an early adopter of Enable devices and a designer and tester of various device designs. Early on in the development of Enable, they earned a reputation as a test pilot and breaker of hands. Peregrine was born missing part of their hand and together with their father, Enable co-founder Peter Binkley, co-designed the Talon, OD Hand, and Osprey devices, remarkable for their durability and their use of leather in the bracer and palm. Peregrine has been a keynote speaker and panelist in a variety of events since Enable was formed and now works as a welder and fabricator in Northern Virginia. Welcome, Peregrine. Thank you for having me. Of course. As for myself, I'm Jeremy Simon, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, most of you know me as one of the owners of 3D Universe, but I'm also uh, an active member and participant of the Enable community. I've been part of that since early 2014, working mostly behind the scenes. Uh, I help to support the enablingthefuture.org website, the Enable Hub, and other Enable infrastructure. My company, 3D Universe, is a strong supporter of Enable as well and is responsible for developing the Enable Web Central application, operating Enable's help desk, as well as producing assembly materials kits and specialty 3D printing supplies for making Enable devices. 
So that's us. And uh, with that, I, I want to sort of open the discussion with uh, what I think is a natural place to begin. What is Enable? I, I think a lot of the people who have joined us probably know, but uh, for those that don't and for those that may be watching the recording, um, let me ask you to start us off, Jen, and just tell us a little bit about what this community is. Um, Enable is just a global community of makers who are um, volunteering to use their 3D printers to um, make free 3D printed hands and arms for people who need them. Um, we have uh, grown over the last eight years to thousands of volunteers in over 100 countries. Um, and we've, we've gone from 3D printing and designing hands to now creating PPE and um, doing all kinds of other things. So um, that's my version. I'm, I'm sure John has a more technical version of what Enable is. I think that's the cool thing about this community. You've got four, you know, essentially co-founders here, and I'm sure we all have a slightly different definition. But yeah, John, what, what's your take on what we are? Um, you know, I'd say we are a global distributed network of volunteers. We happen to do um, uh, 3D printed prosthetics um, primarily. But, you know, I think that the enable pattern of a global community of volunteers um, who, who find the work really rewarding and can address needs that uh, conventional social organizations, businesses, governments, NGOs um, fail to address is really one of the most important things about Enable and one of the most promising things about Enable because it's a pattern the world could use more of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Peregrine, how about you? Anything to add? I mean, personally, it's um, it's the place I go to look for new upgrades. Um, <laughs> but I think that a lot of there's definitely something to be said for how, I guess, how agile the the distributed volunteer system is, and how it can very quickly switch from making assistive devices for underserved populations to making protective equipment in a pandemic uh, just about overnight. And that's that's something that we haven't seen. I haven't seen anything else capable of doing that. Yeah, that's so Mostly it's just a bunch of people who get together online and say, hey, I can make stuff. I want to help people. Yeah. How do I put these together? Sure. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. I think there's a feeling that, mm -hmm. hey, we can do this. If we can do this, it's wrong not to. Let's get to work. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And we've got a lot of people out there with with some very cool technology. You know, 3D printing has been our focus, though it's certainly not the only means by which our community makes things happen. But uh, yeah, we've got people that have the means and just want to get it done, and they've come together in a, in a very exciting way. Uh, so let's get into a little bit of a history here. Um, again, because we have four people here who have uh, been with Enable from the very beginning, um, it would be interesting to hear a little bit about how each of you have, have you know, gotten involved, how each of you got started with this uh, activity and with this community. So we'll start with you, Jen, again, since I, I think it all started with you, really. So how, what was your first uh, involvement? Um, our 
my family um, at the time was really into cosplay and um, my ex-husband and I wanted to go to a cosplay convention and he built a giant mechanical hand out of metal. Um, and we went to the event, we came home, he made a little video of it and put it on YouTube and just left it there. And after about eight or nine months, uh, we got an email from a carpenter in South Africa who had um, accidentally chopped off his fingers on his dominant hand and what, had been researching um, mechanical hands um, and to try to make his own prosthetic, just a, one single finger um, to replace that, that those fingers that he lost. Um, and he was in South Africa, we were here. Um, and so they collaborated for a year on um, just back and forth over the internet um, and right as they were getting ready to be kind of wrapping up the single finger design, uh, we had, I had started a blog that had started getting attention and um, a mother of a little boy who was born with no fingers reached out and asked if they could make a full set of fingers for him. Um, and they, we all just went, well, yeah, duh. Um, <laughs> and so uh, they took the they took the one finger design and, and kind of basically turned the giant claw hand that we had for our steampunk convention um, into a tiny little version for um, this little guy named Liam, who's now it's been eight years. He's not little anymore. I keep calling him a little guy, but um, he's not five anymore. Um, so they put, um, they put this metal contraption on his hand and he was able to pick up um, a ball uh, with it for the first time in his life. And um, then they realized that he was gonna outgrow that version um, and needed to look into 3D printing. So they got uh, MakerBot to donate two 3D printers and work together from 10,000 miles apart and created the first um, 3D printed hand for a child. Um, it was originally named Robo Hand, um, and then they we all collectively decided that instead of patenting the design, we were going to share it open source to the community because neither um, my ex or the carpenter were actual engineers and had very little experience with 3D printing or design whatsoever. So the best way to get it out there and to um, improve the design was to share it openly and we wanted as many people to get it as possible. So we shared it out there and MakerBot did a video um, and posted that on YouTube. And um, then there were makers asking, you know, hey, I, I can make that, I've got a 3D printer. And then um, John Schull showed up and said, well, you say you can and you want to, so do it. So he started a, um, Google Plus group and made a map and told them, you know, if you really want to do this, put your mark on the map and people can find you. And uh, right. that's how Enable was born. Excellent. And that's, I, I think, a good lead in to, to you, John, to tell us a bit about your uh, starting involvement with, with the community. Well, I mean, that was the story. I saw the YouTube video that um, uh, MakerBot made about uh, these guys and what they had done and heard 
from the video that they had put the design online and heard that it was uh, a possible solution for thousands of children born missing fingers and hands. And really on a whim, I put up that map and I uh, entitled the map eNable. And I called it a global assistive technology network, uh, a global pay it forward network built on an infrastructure of uh, internet communications, 3D printing, and goodwill. And um, people resonated to that. I'm actually, I, I really think I nailed an important part of the, the recipe um, at that point. And it, I think it, it's, it's held up and that's what we've done. Uh, at this point, we have a brief interruption in the recording due to an internet connectivity issue. Now resuming. Um, but Peregrine, we know what Jeremy's next question was going to be. It was going to be and say, right. so Jeremy Peregrine, when and how yeah. did you become involved with this? Now we're still recording, yeah? All right. Yeah, I, I started recording again. <laughs> okay. Um, so I also saw the video, but I did not see uh, Don's comment on the video or the map. Um, I saw it with my dad, who had just gotten the printer and had no idea what to do with it until mm -hmm. that moment, obviously. Um, and we just hit the ground running and started making this stuff. Um, we made it, it took me how probably like four hours maybe to break it. Um, <laughs> maybe not even, I think some of the parts broke in the process of assembling. Right. Um, and we started tweaking the designs because they were very easy to, you know, they're, they're mesh models. It was very easy for us to just go in there and start pushing them around and we weren't worried about anyone suing us. <laughs> yes. So Peregrine, we, hmm? uh, I know your dad uh, had done some jewelry making. Had you, were you guys involved with 3D printing before that? No, he had gotten the printer recently um, but I don't think he quite knew what to do with it. He's now using it for jewelry stuff. Um, but I think it was just going to be a small hobby thing until, until we learned we could make hands with it. Right. But we started, you know, I started using it for odd jobs, you know. Yeah, I remember you, the, the, theater first, work. the first video we found of you um you had just hacked apart some blackberry bushes with your new 3d printed hand yeah it's, <laughs> it was it was really fun to um explore the world of having a hand that i can repair and not have to worry about like it bleeding or anything <laughs> um i did many things that would have sent me to the emergency room if i did it with uh you know, with a fleshy hand. Yeah. Um, and then after, I kind of say a couple months of iterative process, like iterative design on this, mm -hmm. um, we, uh, we reached out to Ben's family and said, hey, look what we did. Yes. Um, and that was, that ended up, I think y'all actually ended up giving it the name, the Talon. Mm -hmm. um, yep. That was, and that began was a long tradition of uh, 
yep. avian predator themed names. <laughs> yes. And then and then we all said, hey, hey, there's this whole online community where yeah. you can share this stuff and talk about it with other people yeah. instead of just bouncing off each other. Yeah. And here we are. Yeah, you and your dad jumped right in and just um, took off and it was uh, incredible to watch um, <laughs> Peter go from the French teacher jeweler leather maker <laughs> to this 3D printing hand maker. Um, and he just took off. You two uh, together were just incredible. Yeah, he was he was doing a little bit of like blender work before that, but right. He's I mean, I've I've gone to school for engineering and CAD and all that, and he's the one who's been still doing most of the heavy lifting on the the mm -hmm. design front. Right. Um, his uh oh the there's a blender file that looks like a scrapyard now. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Um, Very cool. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's my end of the story. <laughs> that's cool. Oh, and then we got in, and I started testing out hands and right. breaking those hands as well. Um, I b I believe you were our first um, real adult. Uh, yeah. 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 Before that, before you, we had all um, been working with children who couldn't give us um, honest feedback, really. They, I mean, they liked their superhero hands. They liked, um, you know, playing with it, but they couldn't give us um, honest feedback. And you were one of the first people who were like, yeah, this kind of sucks. You guys need to change <laughs> this around. And, and you really pushed the community to I, mean, harder, I was, not just I was trying to move firewood. <laughs> yeah. I, I was trying to move firewood and cut blackberry brambles and yeah. move, you know, I worked for a while as a package sorter. Um, <laughs> yeah. And all those things require functional hands that can grip things and don't break when you put too much pressure on the fingers. Yes. Um, yes. And now I'm looking into building a hand out of steel or aluminum um, yeah. because um, I keep melting mine. Yeah, I was going to ask you, now that you're a welder, um, do, you, do you still wear your hand or how do you, um, do you have a tool so that you've made? For most fabrication, I've actually started, um, started sewing welding mitts, taking, like taking essentially welding gloves and sewing off, like cutting off and sewing up the fingers. Right. Um, but for, um, for pig welding, you need to have the torch and a filler wire. It's a two-handed process. And I found that the filler wire is about the same diameter as the tendons in the Osprey. Mm, yeah. So I can use, I've, I have an Osprey now, it's an old one, that I ripped out all the fingers except the thumb. <laughs> um, because the other fingers were getting in the way. And I now run filler wire into those tendon lines and 
use that as a, a welding hand. That's great. That's really awesome. Oh, we got, we got, Jeremy, we back. got Jeremy back. Yay. Yeah, my Thanks. internet just decided this was the time for the <laughs> connection to go down. So sorry about that, folks. I remember the story. We've each told our respective stories. Okay, yeah. well, I'm glad for that. Unfortunately, we'll have a little gap in the recording there, but um, uh, <laughs> Jen got it. Yeah, it's to... recording on my end. Okay, glad <laughs> to <think>. hear that. <laughs> we'll see if we can get that uh, that recording from Jen then. All right, and so you guys, Jen. you were just talking about the the kind of the the background stories still. That's yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Right. When we we just asked Peregrine about his about their uh, welding experience and. Uh, now I'm wondering if John knows uh, about how many volunteers we might have. You know, uh, your guess, Jeremy's guess, and Peregrine's guess are about as good as mine. Um, and besides, it depends on how you define volunteers. Um, yeah. There was a point where the Google Plus community had 10,000 people registered for it. Were they all active volunteers? No, no way. Um, but hundreds or thousands. And uh, about a year ago, we created our successor online community to Google Plus called the Enable Hub. Mm -hmm. uh, Hub.e-nable.org. And it's now up to, I think, 1,200 people who've signed up. Over 1,300, actually, yeah. Yeah. Over 1,300. Um, there are chapters in, there are 100 some chapters in 50 some countries. And all of those chapters, most of those chapters um, have at least a few people. Mm -hmm. And some of them have got scores or hundreds of people. Yeah. So from all of that, I would safely guess maybe there are one to 2,000 active people in Enable at any moment, plus or minus 50%. <laughs> and, uh, and it's an evolving story. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's kind of hard to keep track of and hard to guess, but we have over 4,400 registered users in Enable Web Central. And uh, like John said, about 1,300 active in the, the hub right now. Right. Uh, we have over 150 active chapters. So yeah, certainly, I, you know, I, I actually had this discussion with someone today and I said, well, we definitely have thousands of volunteers, but of those, you know, probably several hundred remain really active at any given time. Mm -hmm. um, and others kind of come and go. Yeah, we had, we had probably about 2000 schools involved over the last few years um, between, between classrooms, universities, and robotics teams um, and you know they those student numbers come and go over the years um, you know there's there's just really no way to actually keep track of how many people are involved um, all we know is that there are really awesome people out there doing this work and donating their time and their talents and their resources to do it and um, the more people we have participating, the better. Absolutely. 
Uh, now, I might have missed a little bit of this when I <laughs> had my connection go down, but I was interested in hearing from Peregrine about, you, you've you know worn several of these devices and as far as I'm aware, still do. Um, do you still use the, the designs that you helped to develop uh, with, with your father? Have you switched to something new? And I'm especially curious, given that you're now a professional welder, are you, you, yeah. do you use something more robust or what, what are you wearing these days? Yeah, I, I touched on that a little bit. Um, right now I have two hands that I use. Um, one of them is the thing I've been calling the hyper-customized Osprey. Um, that was, that's the, uh, the white, I wish I had it with me right now. Um, it's out in the car. Um, it's a white plastic with black claws, black leather, um, an extra large uh, bracer. Um, and that's kind of my everyday hand. Oh, I think Avery might be going out to go and get it so I can show it off. Right. Um, but then I've also got an old Osprey that I have ripped almost all the fingers out of. It now has only a thumb. <laughs> um, and I use that exclusively for TIG welding. Um, because the thin wire that used for TIG is about the same diameter as the, the tendon wire that I use to run the fingers. So I can just use those old channels to hold filler wire as necessary. So That's cool. a very cool idea. And I would like to build a, um, a new hand out of steel or aluminum, but that's most of the hands that we have, like most of the designs we have right now would be very difficult to fabricate out of steel and also would be very heavy, mm -hmm. um, that, that much material. We're designing, we're designing for plastic, we're designing for material that is very light and not very strong. So you end up with these very large bulky pieces. When you go to metal, you have to consider, you have to really consider that weight. Um, and you get a lot of a lot more strength per weight with that. So the designs aren't going to carry over very well, but I'll, I'm, I'm looking into it. Nice. Yeah, it's interesting how differently you need to think about design when you're looking at 3D printing versus more traditional fabrication. Yeah, early on in the Enable, uh, Enable world, I did see a lot of um, at least to me, it felt like there was a lot of professional or semi-professional engineers even yeah. who were having a bit of trouble with the limitations of 3D printing, um, dealing with things like the fact that it has a grain to it. And if you print it this way, it's going to be very strong. And if you print it this way, it's going to be very weak. Um, we had a lot of... Uh, sort of half pipe uh, bracers that people love to print in such a way that they would break coming off the print bed or in transit. Um, mm -hmm. And I in fact have a hand somewhere that the bracer just shredded itself <laughs> because of the direction it was printed and the, the size of the curve they tried to get on it. Um, 
and well, we've seen and that change too with with materials. You know, now originally yeah, yeah. was printing in PLA, and now we've got PET G and and other much yeah, newer yeah. materials. The the newer materials let you play a little bit more fast and loose with the the three D printing limitations. And yet they will still break. Uh, <laughs> you know, one of one oh, of the talented. I'll find a way. <laughs> one of the points I like to make is that. Uh, these things, their their main claim is that they are substantially better than nothing. Um, and there are a lot of people who have nothing because prosthetics, especially upper limb prosthetics, are hard to come by um, and can be very expensive. And kids in particular will outgrow them. Um, but being substantially better than nothing is actually a pretty good guarantee that they're often going to fail. And therefore there are lots of opportunities for improvement so you know peregrine and his dad made some important improvements um i've done a few things in my day that i thought were just ridiculous hacks that i was embarrassed about showing and they were ridiculous hacks and they were embarrassing but they actually spawned some some good designs mm -hmm. uh, and i think that's one of the interesting things about a group like Enable is that we're willing and able to do things that respectable engineers would not be willing to to do. And therefore, we uh, managed to make some contributions that think, would otherwise not get made. Yeah, I think my one of my favorite parts about Enable, especially in the very beginning, was that people were so intrigued by it um, that we had people who weren't engineers um, and they were just general makers coming to the community. And one of our first designs um, after the robo hand and had been chopped up and, you know, moved around and, and reformatted um, was when we were all trying to figure out how to get the tensioning right. And we had, you know, the engineer was like overthinking it and, you know, the general maker was trying to figure it out. And then the, the guitar playing dude um, who had, I don't <laughs> think he had any experience with making or 3D printing. He was like, why don't you just like do that thing with like guitar pegs and then it will tighten it. And we're all like, why didn't well, we think of that? <laughs> but it was really, it's, it, that's probably my favorite thing about Enable is we have, all these people from different walks of life and different careers and different cultures and religions and we're all working together for the same goal um and when you you go to an enable community page you don't see borders and war zones and religions and you know all the boundaries that keep us from being nice to each other um and they all for the last eight nine years have been collaborating together um and just throwing out those ideas you know saying we're we're a big group of jewelers and musicians and engineers and artists and students and i mean even at one point in the very beginning we even had a, a mountain climbing unicyclist who was throwing <laughs> in ideas from his experiences on the trail and it was just it was just been a really cool journey absolutely and 
those diverse account, uh, those diverse contributions are welcomed, which is not true in most professional um, communities and guilds. Right. And I love that the, the kids now who have gotten them um, have started giving feedback and they, you know, when we first started, it was, hey, let's make this cool hand. And then after about a year, the kids were like, you know, dude, I just kind of want to hold a pop can or I want to jump rope or I want to ride my bike and I don't want to wear this thing all day. I want something that attaches to my bike that I can stick my hand in. And then the Enable community went, oh, yeah, us adults are trying to overthink again. So um, it's been really cool to get the, all the different perspectives of everyone. Yeah. Well, so, you know, we've been around about eight years now, and uh, I think you guys have touched on some of this, but let's talk a little bit about how things have changed in that time from when this first got started with people just, you know, wanting to 3D print a, a hand for somebody. Uh, how have we seen this community evolve and change over the years? Um, I, I'll just open that up to any one of you that wants to talk to that. Mm. Who wants well, to I think there, there, there are a couple of big um, developments. We certainly went through uh, several organizational thresholds. Uh, we went from being what we called a, uh, what was, we like to use the Margaret Mead uh, phrase, never doubt that a small group of people can change the world. That's the only group, only size group that ever has. After a while, we weren't a small group of people anymore. We were a large and rapidly growing group. Um, then we did the obvious thing, and we saw there was a need for organization. We created an organization, um, a 501c3 nonprofit. We got some professional management. We got a half million dollar grant. It was obvious, but it wasn't the right thing to do. Um, and we went through a very tough time in 2016 when it became clear that uh, the community of enthusiastic amateurs and the uh, collection of professional organizational people were just, just didn't make sense for each other. Uh, in fact, the foundation is no more and the community has continued to grow and thrive. And we have evolved second point, I think, from um, a bunch of individuals to a bunch of chapters and a bunch of individuals. But I think increasingly chapters are the, um, the fundamental unit of the global community. And in some ways, I think that's, that is true and a really good thing because humans know how to deal with humans in small groups. We don't know how to deal with humans in large online communities as I will say the current election cycle and the past election cycle may have demonstrated really clearly. Um, so that's, that's another big change. The other thing is we have developed um, a non-trivial infrastructure. You know, once upon a time, Enable was sort of defined by this map that I created on a whim where people were supposed to put down pins. Then we were defined and, and I think for a while we really thought we were essentially a Google Plus community. Of course, eventually Google Plus pulled the plug on itself. And so that's not what we were. Um, but in the interim, we have developed an infrastructure which includes Enable Web Central that Jeremy um, and his company have put together, uh, which is a very substantial piece of work. We have the Enable Hub. 
enabling the future continues to be probably the most widely read um, uh, organ of the community. I like to say that enabling the future is to enable as USA Today is to the USA. It's an independent um, voice of the community. Uh, we have a funding mechanism called the Enable Fund, which has gotten um, some donations and to the throngs who are watching this broadcast. We're always looking for more donations because we have a community mechanism for uh, making it possible for anyone in Enable to propose a project and for anyone enabled to discuss it, vote it up or down. And if it's funded, then um, the, the nonprofit that I maintain, whose, whose main function is really just to do what the, um, the voting system says to do, dispenses the fund. Put all these things together and we actually have something of a organization, uh, even though there's very little uh, assigned authority, except for the particular piece of the puzzle, one or the other of us takes responsibility for. I think it's also important to um, talk about that, that, that a lot of this that we're talking about is in the USA. We have a huge group over in France who started, um, the, basically it started out as Enable France, but I am pretty sure they are Enable Europe. Um, and probably beyond by now. They've got a lot of volunteers in a lot of countries over there. Um, we've got, um, you know, Enable Brazil and all these other chapters who have their own, a lot of them have started their own 501c3s, so they are all getting funding. Um, we have um, just, just this huge, I don't know, like busy hives all over the place. And, um, you know, we've got chapters who are really struggling. They need materials, they need machines, they need support. Um, and we try, I, I, we try to help as many people as possible. But what's really cool is you can go on the Enable Hub and you can see, you know, a, a chapter in, in Africa needs a, a, a device for somebody and somebody from Europe is going to be traveling there or are on a mission trip and they're going to bring spools with them to avoid having to pay the the, the duty fees and the shipping and um, all of that stuff. So we've got a lot of chapters who um, we're all supportive of each other. Um, and it's really amazing to see how far um, these people will go to help other people um, and their chapters survive and grow and be able to serve. Yeah, that's, you know, that's been one of the really exciting things to see with these chapters that have developed is that, you know, a, a chapter is able to organize and sort of develop their own infrastructure and processes and methods that are suited to their particular region. You know, for example, you mentioned the chapter in, in Brazil, which is a very large and active chapter. They have legislation there that requires them to have medical professionals involved in the process of evaluating someone and actually prescribing a, a device before it gets made by 
by their volunteers. And so they've actually put together standards and training and procedures and evaluation criteria and all kinds of wonderful materials, which then can be borrowed by other chapters in other regions. And, you know, we have uh, chapters in, in, you know, the UK and other parts of Europe that have had to learn to deal with some of the EU regulations around uh, medical devices. And, and those standards have then been shared and the agreements that they use, et cetera. So it's, it's really wonderful to see chapters evolve and address some of these specific needs in their area and then share those methods and lessons learned with others. And um, it's, it's just, it's this, this thing that's just grown and, and sort of self-organized and evolved on its own. It's, it's been very exciting to watch. Yeah, there's a couple chapters in Colombia, um, Paraguay, uh, other, other chapters around the world who have also integrated, they've come up with, um, you know, they have physical therapists on their team where they have the recipients come in and they learn exercises, you know, stacking blocks, um, holding this or that and building up the muscles in their arms. And they, they, they stay with their recipient the whole journey. Um, whereas in the US, it's, it's more of a, here's your hand, um, we're kind of tied by the FDA and all this, all these regulations and stuff to um, not be involved. So we here in the U.S. try to um, make sure that our makers and the recipients are working with their own family physicians or their physical therapists when they get a device um, so that they are getting um, medical attention. Right. in a way that we can't do like they can in other countries. And that, that actually kind of leads into something that came in through the Q&A panel. Someone was asking about concerns around legal liability, the possibility of somebody being sued, um, and asks if we've ever had any kind of legal trouble like that in the Enable community. Um, I, and I think it's, it's somewhat surprising. As far as I'm aware, we never had. Um, I, I, unless there's something I'm not aware of, I've never heard of a lawsuit or anything like that, knock on wood. Um, that's not to say that it couldn't happen, um, but I, I think, well, first of all, it, it's gonna vary from one place to another, right? Each region has their own sort of laws and, and regulations and, and uh, expectations for this sort of thing. And we are seeing that evolve as we go. I think our volunteers have been very smart, very responsible in, in uh, sort of responding to those mandates in their own area. Like I mentioned, the folks down in Brazil, you know, there was some legislation that required them to take certain steps and, and they evolved to deal with that. And they've got a much better process now as a result of that, one that we're recommending others consider as well. Um, as Jen said, we always recommend that people work with medical professionals whenever possible. And uh, we've also worked closely in, in our region, in the US, we've worked closely with the folks at the uh, FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, the ones that oversee things like medical devices and they've been very supportive um they come and talk every year at our at our conferences and essentially have said hey we we like what you guys are doing as long as you're sticking to external devices you're not embedding things in people's bodies and you're sticking to primarily upper limb uh devices uh we and have, you're not selling them and you're not selling them that's right that's been an important part of this too um they've said you know we're we're all for it. We're not going to. We're not going to get in your way. That's not to say that couldn't change. And there have been some 
uh, portions of the medical community and professional prosthetists that have uh, ha expressed concerns. Uh, some have been very welcoming of our work and have gotten involved with us. Others have, have, have not been so supportive. Um, but as far as I'm aware, there have not been any legal troubles so far uh, anywhere in the world as a result of our work. And I, I think, again, as John points out, the fact that this is being fueled by goodwill, these are not things that are being sold. These are just people trying to help people that can't get help otherwise. It's kind of hard to prosecute somebody over that, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. So let's talk a little bit about schools, because this has been an interesting part of watching the evolution of this community. We've got we've seen a lot of schools around the world who have brought Enable into the classroom, who have who have realized that, you know, I've got all these students and a lot of schools are now introducing students to 3D printing. And, and I think what often happens is a school gets a 3D printer and now they've got this great technology there. And now the teachers are kind of scratching their heads saying, all right, what do I do with this thing? And they come across Enable and they realize, wait, I could have our students learn to not only make a hand, but to make it for somebody and actually be a part of something that's going to change somebody's life. And we've seen, I don't know how many schools, do any of you have a guess of how many schools have gotten involved with Enable now? I know it's hundreds at least. Um, well, Dennis, I, I, 2000. Yeah, it's about 2000 if you include robotics teams. Yeah, um, that's fantastic. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think uh, schools have certainly recognized the value of, of the program. We've actually had partners, um, you know, we here at 3D Universe have a partner uh, organization called Bitspace. They're uh, basically a, a makerspace organization and they've developed online curriculum specifically around the work that we do in Enable. And it's, it, it basically, um, you know, covers everything from sort of the, the, the aspect of just sort of, uh, um, uh, I don't know, sort of intent-based uh, um, education and learning and sort of incorporating meaning into the curriculum and creative thinking and, you know, and, and then going beyond these more abstract concepts and getting into the actual mechanisms of making these devices and how to, how to take your students through that process. So some, some really great, you know, materials have evolved. We've had other volunteer groups that have created educational curriculum materials and have shared those online and so we see those continue to evolve. Um, so that's that's been kind of an exciting part of this is seeing how the schools have incorporated this into their their learning processes and and how the students respond to that and how excited they get and uh, Jen you've made some comments about how you've seen that impact students in the past and their relationship to some of the engineering uh, subjects right? Right yeah it's been really cool to watch the younger kids who, you know, maybe they've been struggling with math um, and they don't, you know, they're, they're one of those kids who cries when, when you put a math problem in front of them because they don't understand why they need math if they're going to be an artist someday. Um, or, um, yeah, the kids who just really aren't into science or technology um, and they, they, will get a teacher who brings Enable into the classroom and shows them that you can use math, you can use science and this technology to make this cool thing that helps other people. And then you've got this, you know, fourth grader who's been crying every day at, after math, who's now showing up before school wanting to work on a design for a hand for a student that they found in their school who needed a hand. And now they went from 
hating math to now they want to be a bioengineer or they want to you know learn how to use 3d printers and just have taken off and i think um some of our recipients have discovered um talents that they didn't know they had by by getting it a 3d printed hand and then learning how it was made and then then starting to give feedback and um, help with the designs themselves, they have realized that they actually have a knack for STEM learning. Um, and I, well, I believe- For STEM learning and yeah. potentially um, for other things. We have you know, an awful large number of uh, enabled kids. When you ask them what they wanna be when they grow up, because this is the one adult activity they had an opportunity to participate in. Um, they say, oh, I want to be a prosthetist. Um, but as a matter of fact, <laughs> uh, I've had more than a few prosthetics graduate students say that actually they became prosthetists because of Enable. Those young kids mm -hmm. grow up. Um, now, some of them become prosthetists, some of them become other things. But I think that it's not just that it's a great experience for young kids to get involved, which it is, but that it really sets them on a on an intellectual and a moral or spiritual trajectory, which I think has has served a number of them well. It can it, it's an important uh, it's a, an important object lesson in what can be done if you just don't get in the way. Right. That's that's an important point, you know, not getting in the way because there's something really unique about what has happened here with Enable. Um, you know, there's there's nobody making this happen. There's nobody, you know, uh, in control. There's there's nobody in charge. This whole thing is just kind of grown by itself and in ways that I think at times were unexpected. And I, I think those of us here and others not on this uh, uh, on this panel who have been equally active in supporting the community would, would see ourselves as sort of caretakers. Uh, you know, we, we try to support and we try to encourage that growth, but, you know, at the same time, try not to get in the way, you know, and just let it do its thing. Um, which which uh, has has been really uh, a, an amazing thing to be part of, and just to just see how this thing has evolved on its own. Without, you know, it's not like a a company where you have you know owners and managers and a board of directors that's saying this is our goal, this is what we're going to do this year, and this is how we're going to do it. It's just it's just kind of unfolding uh, thanks to these these collaborative efforts of people all over the world, and we're just kind of going along for the ride. I'm curious. Um... Peregrine, how old were you when we started this? You were a teenager still, right? I was 18 or 19. Yeah. Around. I like I had just gotten out of high school and had no idea what to do with myself. Right. Um, and you were you got did this did this um did he, being part of Enable inspire you to go into any kind of STEM? Oh oh yeah. Um I I actually moved out to Rochester with the intent of going to RIT for their Enable 3D printed prosthetics program. Um, life happened along the way. Um, I 
got an associate's in engineering at the nearby community college and then discovered that I actually like being a lot closer to the making than the designing of things. And then went through their, that same school's welding program. But yeah, that was, that was what set me on the path to where I am now. Uh, Perman also became a distinguished public speaker. I got to tell you, there was yes. oh, early that on, maybe the first time I met Peregrine, we, we were uh, uh, guests at a uh, corporate event for the entire Intel Corporation. And we both got on stage for a couple of minutes. Peregrine described himself, gave a nice little presentation, and the son of a gun got a standing ovation, which I have yet to happen for me. Uh, but he's gone on to be a really good spokesman for Enable, and I think it's, I it's so probably done a paramount. Pardon me? I was so awkward on that stage. <laughs> yeah, but that was then. <laughs> so, I, you know, to, like I mentioned earlier, you know, a lot of my involvement has been you know, kind of more behind the scenes. I, I support a lot of the infrastructure and, and kind of uh, help with things that, you know, a lot of people don't don't see that happen uh, behind the scenes. Uh, so one of the things I'd like to talk a little bit about is, is, is governance, because um, this has been an interesting challenge for the Enable community. Uh, how do you handle governance and oversight in a community which, like I said, nobody's in charge? Um, and, and John, I know this has been an area that you've focused a lot on too, and that you've put a lot of thought into. Um, what are your thoughts on that in terms of, you know, how we handle that, what has or hasn't worked, and how we deal with that side of things with the Enable? Well, you know, there's a poster that circulates. I came across it on Facebook um, the other day when I was preparing a talk on exactly this topic. It's the one where you've got two examples of a leader. One guy is up on a throne and he's directing the, uh, the spear characters and the, the rowers in the, in the ship to do the rowing. The other example of a leader is the guy who's actually on the ground. He's pulling the ship um, that's got everyone else in it. He's leading by doing. Um, I think your description of, uh, of stewardship or caretaking is is an important part of of what we do. Um, there are a couple of there are a number of terms for this kind of thing these days. People talk about duocracies, right? It's not exactly um, a system of voting, but uh, the leaders are the people who step up and actually do what needs to be done, and they are leaders by virtue of that. And they still can't tell anyone what to do, right. um, but they can get a great deal of satisfaction from it and they may have some influence. Um, so we've actually, I think, cultivated a model in which uh, those who are willing uh, get together periodically. We meet once a week in our strategic planning committee, so-called, that, um, that Jeremy chairs. A few other people show up each week and we just talk about what's going on and what needs to happen. And if something needs to happen, someone comes up and says so. And we try to figure out how it can be made to happen. And it does happen if someone says, I will take responsibility for that. Right. And take responsibility doesn't even mean have authority for. 
So I think that's that's been an important part of it. And I think it's and it's partly because we learned so bitterly in 2016 that a global network of volunteers shows up precisely because they get to do their own thing, they get to be autonomous, they have the meaning and purpose that comes with doing something personally meaningful because you want to, not because someone has told you to do it. That's right. And so we have um, sort of found ways of celebrating and making that kind of thing easier. So without the ability to hire, fire, command, all we can do is, is inspire and facilitate. And it turns out you can do a fair amount that way. Yeah, yeah that's a nice way of putting it. Just inspire and facilitate. That's what we try to do. Let's see. Um, I, I guess we might have touched on this a little bit at the beginning, but for anybody watching that might uh, want to get more involved than they are currently, they might uh, want to be part of this community. Uh, how do they get involved and uh, where do they go to learn more about Enable? Anybody want to take that on? Well, listen, the first place they're going to want to go is to Jen's website, Enabling the Future. Um, loaded with pictures and stories and uh, information about the community. If they want to actually begin interacting with enablers, they should go to hub.enable.org. Introduce yourself. Uh, you know, we have this information about Enable smeared all over the planet, and it's readily available, and it's a mess. But we're a community <laughs> that loves answering questions. Um, and we expect people to say, I can't quite figure this out. If you say, I can't figure it out, you'll get some answers. You'll get some people to talk to. Um, you'll get some, some guidance. Yeah, we have, some, we have some Facebook groups too. We've got an R&D group, a community bulletin board. Uh, we have an education-based um, group. And, uh, all of those are, are findable through the main Enable Facebook page um, under the, the different groups that we have. So, um, but I think the hub has become the spot where you can get answers more quickly um, and it's more organized. So you can look and see if somebody's already asked this question versus scrolling and then uh, posting and then somebody says, hey, we answered that like two years ago. Yeah. <laughs> right, that's right, or eight years ago. Yeah. Um, there are many ways in, um, none of them are mandatory. You just gotta, and, and none of them are difficult actually. Right. Um, if you try, you'll find your way in. Um, for example, I doubt that anyone on this panel would uh, be other than pleased to get an email from someone who said, I'd, what do I do next? Yeah. We'll say the same thing we've just said now, but it's, you should feel free. Yeah, and, and we do, I mentioned earlier that we do run a help desk uh, for Enable. So there's a, you know, there's a support email, support at enable.org uh, with the dash in Enable there. Um, and this is all available on the website, enablingthefuture.org. You'll find all of that contact information. Uh, we actually make our 3D Universe uh, 800 number, our phone number available also as a phone-based support option for Enable. So you can call us, we'll help direct you to the right place. Um, there's a live chat function on the Enable website, again, at enablingthefuture.org. There's a little 
Uh, it's, it's usually handled by an automated sort of a bot that will answer common questions, but it also gives you a way to reach out to us and, and get help beyond that. Um, and, and, and by the way, when you're on enablingthefuture.org, if you go to the learn more page in the top menu, that'll, that'll link you over to the hub that John has been talking about so you don't have to remember multiple URLs. Right. And there's also um, enablealliance.org, um, and they focus a lot on um, education. Um, there's so many programs going on through Enable Alliance um, that it's just incredible what they're doing over there. Um, they have been um, just phenomenal, um, just reaching out into the world in as many corners of the world as possible and starting clinics in, in war-torn areas, getting devices and materials to, to the chapters in those areas and trying to keep their their recipients and their makers safe and um, so make sure you're also checking out um, enablealliance.org as well and as a matter of fact if you go there really soon you'll be notified about the fourth annual enablecon yes. um, this time it's a mostly virtual event but there will be speech um, presentations by most of the people on this panel and people from all over the world and uh, it's active over a couple of weeks but there are uh, a number of really good presentations by people from the FDA from some people doing cutting-edge bioprinting work um, in Europe and if you want to know more about Enable this is actually a really good month to uh, to dig in because there's plenty of opportunity to see presentations and to interact with the people involved. That's true. And your yep. most direct route for that would be to go to enablealliance.org. Yep, although we've got it up on all of our websites now. So if you go to Enabling the Future, if you go to the Hub, if you go to Enable Alliance, any of those sites, you're gonna see EnableCon and the links to register. So uh, that's, a, that's a great opportunity to, to learn a lot more and take a deeper dive well, we don't have too much time left, but uh, before we wrap up here, I, I do want to circle back to what was mentioned earlier on about how the, the community has, you know, we've mainly been making hands and arms for people, but uh, recently with the, the COVID pandemic, we've seen the community pivot and also address that need. You know, there's been a critical shortage in some areas of, of PPE, and um, so maybe we could talk a bit about how uh, the community has gotten involved in helping with solutions for the pandemic and what you guys have seen around that. John? Uh, well, Jeremy in particular has been uh, working with a group um, from University of Buffalo that I was connected with uh, that has been developing a face mask. Um, like many other groups, we initially Said, oh my god we have to learn everything there is to know about respirators um, that turned out to be the a difficult problem and the wrong problem then many groups piled onto face shields which were less challenging than face masks and very very much needed um, jeremy was one of the first in the community to start churning out face masks but you know in 
Lithuania and Brazil, the Enable chapters, had significant impact on the entire country. They, um, I think on the order of 100,000 uh, face shields were produced um, by chapter leaders there. Um, in Lithuania, uh, our chapter leader, Masvis Sferdiolis, is basically responsible for all of the face shields in all of the hospitals in Lithuania. Uh, and now we're continuing to develop 3D printable and other forms of face masks, um, and people are still making personal protective equipment. Yes. You know, at the beginning, I pointed out that what was really interesting about Enable, besides the fact that we do 3D printed prosthetics, was this global network of volunteers doing, if you will, off the books um, medical devices. That's actually worldwide become a very common pattern in the COVID era because here also the medical industrial complex is a wonderful thing, but it doesn't cover all the cases all the time. And at this point, it's clear that there is a global network of volunteers who can jump in and fill the gaps. And personally, I'm hoping that um, that lesson will generalize back to all sorts of things where the professional gatekeepers who keep the gates because they know the right way to do things when conditions allow need to recognize that there are safety nets and escape valves available uh, when conditions don't allow institutional solutions to solve everyone's problems. And yeah. the COVID crisis, I think, has really made that clear. I think um, the just the maker community in general, um, just the way that you know we see even before Enable, but I think once Enable was out there and people saw that you know you can yeah you can make another Yoda figurine and put it on Thingiverse and other people will make it. When Enable first came out, um, people started realizing that they could make stuff that would help people and they would share it on Thingiverse or wherever. Um, and with, with that spreading over the last seven or eight years, when the pandemic came out, within, within a week or days of the, it really hitting the United States especially, we had you know, we had Enable DC and we had, uh, you know, the 3D printing Portland group. Um, we had all these groups and chapters and maker spaces and schools and libraries. And they were just like, we have 3D printers. We're going to design a face shield. We're going to design ear savers. We've got, you know, people who are making um, ventilator splitters and sharing it. Um, as soon as, as quickly as they could get it uploaded, and then within minutes or, you know, a day, somebody else has reworked it and refixed it and, and improved it. And then you've got all these different designs. And, and now, six, seven months later, we've got a variety of, of versions. But the maker community just went, you know, we're stuck at home. We've got this technology. We know we can make stuff to help people. How are we going to do that? Yeah. Um, that has but, been such an incredible thing to see. 
And, and the sharing aspect of that is, is what I love so much. You know, in, in years past, you know, when there's a critical need that arises and, and there is no solution available for it and some group or organization develops a solution to address that need, the, the thinking is always about how do we monetize this? How do we turn this into something right. profitable? And with with us, it's it's the opposite. It's it's you know how do we share this? How do we get this into the hands of others so they can you know benefit from it also? Which is just so wonderful to see. Right. It was really awesome to see to be able to say, um, you know, when the pandemic hit the United States, it wasn't the U.S. government that saved lives. It was the nerds and the geeks and the the students and the makers. We all work together to make thousands of pieces of PPE within weeks and they were delivering them. They were, I, I drove down to Portland, which is a four hour drive to get, I think, I don't know, 200 pieces of PPE and bring them back up to a, my hometown, which we only had like three or four makers busting them out. We had a big outbreak out here um, and it, it was, it was just awesome to see, um, you know, the donations pouring into these individuals and like university groups like Enable DC was able to raise like $10,000 in a week to be able to buy materials. And then we had um, businesses like 3D Universe, who's, we, we started a, um, a button on our page where if, you know, we couldn't, we didn't want to have to wait for the, um, sorry, the dog's excited. Um, we didn't want to have to wait for the, the GoFundMe money. We wanted to get materials to people who needed it. So we, we started a button where you could donate to, or you could purchase a roll and Jeremy would immediately send it out to whoever was in need as our makers so they could get it to the people who needed it as quickly as possible. Yeah, I think enable in this, like, let, let's not kid ourselves, we didn't make all of this, but enable, like, we made some of it, obviously. But I think what it really did here is it set, it set a precedent yes. that, that maker, like, we can, if you want to get real specific, a precedent for pseudo-medical wearable devices, whether they elect that you pick stuff up or whether they in the air you breathe. Um, yeah. But it kind of turned the maker community on to, hey, we can use this for more than more than figurines, more than cosplay. We can use this to help people. Right. And that it kind of it even set a precedent for this kind of distributive problem solving and nonprofit helping people. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, and I, for, for me, one of the exciting things is seeing how all these technologies are coming together to make this happen. We've got people all over the world now with 3D printers that are becoming more and more affordable. We have internet technologies such as some of the social media. And one of the ones that I've found most useful recently is uh, Nextdoor, uh, which is you know, kind of social media for your local community. I, I put a post up on Nextdoor saying, I've got free face shields for anybody that needs them. And what I've, and I just, you know, somebody says I could use a half a dozen of those and I put them in a box out of my doorstep and they come by and pick them up, you know, mm -hmm. and it's been wonderful to be able to support the local community that way, especially with now teachers being called back to school, 
you know, we want to make sure that they're protected and to be able to feel like I'm helping those teachers in my local community and other medical professionals. Uh, it's, it's been really rewarding. You know, it's, it's, um, it's really exciting to see how that all comes together. The, the internet technologies and 3D printing and the goodwill and all of it is just kind of unfolding in a, in a very exciting and rewarding way. Right. And it's not just um, PPE that they're helping with now. Um, our upcoming episode, um, we will be talking to Shashi and Connor from MakerForce, who um, has been, have been making PPE um, in Portland with their group. But now we've got um, school is back in session. It's all online and they've got some schools that they are working with um, in the Native American community who um, requested 3D printed brains because their students would, in the neuroscience labs, would normally get to dissect brains and learn about neuroscience. But um, they were able to um, rally their, their makers to switch from PPE for a week and 3D print these giant brains that these students will now, each student will get one and they can pull it apart and, and, and check it out and, and hold it. And um, there's, there's so many different ways that, that the Enable community and just the maker community in general is helping, not just for PPE or medical devices, but um, teachers and students. And it's not just 3D printing either. There's, there's folks who have designed um, laser cutter designs that will help, you know, you put something up on the top of your, your laptop and it'll put a little mirror underneath it and it, and it projects the, the student's work up so the teacher can see it. Um, there's so many different ways that uh, the maker community can help each other. And it doesn't always have to be a life-saving or a life-changing, um, endeavor. It can just be something that literally helps somebody get their homework done. Yeah. We've actually got someone in the audience who's asking uh, if, if we can see the hand, Peregrine. So for those on video, maybe. Uh, do you have yeah, I did. My, uh, my wonderful partner over there went out and got the, the hands. I love you. Um, <laughs> and so this is the right. hand. This is the, the hyper-customized Osprey which the, the files are available um, on Thingiverse. Very cool. Um, the, the customization is this back bracer that's maybe almost twice as long as the original. Um, and these, these claws are not, uh, are not standard. Um, <laughs> actually, someone in the community was able to print, these are nylon fiberglass. Oh, excellent. Um, I believe the, it's like onyx. Yep. Um, because my my old claws broke a lot. Um, I hate when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so this is my my standard everyday hand. Very nice. Um, and then this here is actually an old Osprey. You can see the difference in the bracer difference there. Yep. And but this one has all the fingers except for the thumb ripped out and a piece of pig wire <laughs> very creative where it would go goes goes right in there where the where the cable would normally 
That's terrific. Very cool. All right. Well, we are going to have to wrap up. We could, there's so much more we could talk about here, I know, but uh, we only have so much time. So I want to uh, re reiterate uh, John's um, uh, uh, invitation to anyone who wants to help support this community. Uh, donations are always helpful. You know, our volunteers cover these costs of making these devices and, and hands by themselves, but uh, having funding from other organizations is a tremendous help to uh, fund projects and, and ongoing development. So if you visit enablingthefuture.org, there is a button there. You can click to partner with Enable and learn about how you can help to support us or partner with the uh, community. And, and help keep this work going. So I want to invite folks to, to go check that out and consider joining us in one form or another. Yeah, and uh, come join us at EnableCon. Definitely, yes. So check out, uh, again, EnableAlliance.org. You can get information about how to register for EnableCon. It's also on our other websites, and I hope we'll see some of you there. I want to give a, a big thanks to all of our, our speakers tonight. Jen, John, Peregrine, thanks so much for joining for this. It's been a great talk. And I look forward to our, our next discussion. Thanks all to all of our attendees for joining. And uh, stay tuned on our webpage at uh, shop3duniverse.com. We have a, a page there for 3D Universe Untethered where you can see all of our upcoming episodes and recordings from past episodes. So check and that out. And thank you, Jeremy, for all you do. <laughs> of course. It's, it's been a, a pleasure, as always. All right, everyone. Thanks for joining. See you next time. Good to see you all. Bye. Bye.